1 Timothy chapter 4. Last week we covered the first five verses in chapter 4. And just by way of review, remember that Paul gives Timothy a warning. He gives him a very important warning. And he says to Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, some people are going to depart from the faith. They're going to be part of the church and they're going to depart from the faith. But we made it a point to say they're not necessarily going to depart from the church. They might stay in the church, but they're going to depart from the faith. And, you know, you say, well, how could something like that happen? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, he goes, they're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. They're going to be fooled. They're going to be manipulated. They're going to take their focus off of Jesus Christ. They're going to follow this doctrine of deceiving spirits or the doctrine of demons, and they're going to be pulled away. And you might say, well, what is that going to look like? What would that look like in the church? And we talked about this at length last week. They're going to speak lies and hypocrisy. They'll be living a life of hypocrisy. They'll be very legalistic. Be, there's going to be a bunch of rules that follow. You, you can't get married, you know, forbidding to marry. You can only eat certain kinds of food. It's going to become a very, you know, your, your spirituality is going to be based on a list of things that you do or don't do. The problem with that is we can never even keep track of our own list, can we? So we also talked about, we closed last week, and we said after Paul told Timothy the warning, after Paul told how it was going to happen, after Paul told Timothy what it would look like in this legalistic uh, sense, in this hypocrisy, Paul's going to go on and tell Timothy his responsibility in this. Because remember, Timothy was left at Ephesus. He was overseeing the church. And when we say church, we think of like a church, like a building like this. That's not the way it was back then. Churches were meeting in homes. And they were meeting all over different places. So Timothy was kind of the one charging to make sure that everything was going according to the proper doctrine. Because the Bible hadn't even been finished. It wasn't even completed yet. So the doctrine they had was, all, was verbal from Paul. It was verbal from the apostles. And, and, Paul, and Paul wants to make sure Timothy says, or Timothy knows that we're holding true to this. So in our study this morning... Picking up in verse 6, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, if, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Paul start, or starts out with the word if. Whenever you see the word if in the scripture, you can pretty much bet a decision follows. If. If then statements. If. Paul's going to lay out to Timothy. If you do this then you will be a good minister. Then you will be a good pastor. Then you will be giving the people what they need. This is Paul's job description of a pastor, if you will. What should a pastor be doing? Well, Paul's going to tell you. He's going to list four things here for us this morning. This is what a pastor should be doing. You say, is my pastor doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, you can evaluate me based on what I'm about to share with you. All right, everybody go home. No, no, no. What he says is if, if you will, and look at the first thing he says. If you will what? instruct the brethren. If you'll instruct the brethren in these things, what things is he talking about? The things we just covered, the things that we covered last week, that some are going to depart from the faith, that they're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, that there's going to be living in hypocrisy. If you instruct the brethren into these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So the first thing he says is to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you have an obligation. You have to instruct the brethren. What does the word instruct mean? 
It means to teach, right? It means to teach. It means exhortation. It means to, to teach somebody how they should do, how, should, how they should live their life, how they should live, walk according to God's word. It, it's a simple word. It's teaching, instruction. So as it, when you come to church, you should expect instruction. But I also want to share something with you before we go any further. Did you know that you guys are teachers too? You might not teach in the formal sense like I am this morning, but when you share the gospel with somebody, you know, you're teaching them about Jesus Christ. When you, when you minister to your kids, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your families, do you know you're teaching them? And you can teach them both with your words and also with your actions, can't you? So Timothy's instructed here to teach. And he's supposed to do it in two ways. He says, or I, I think number one, the, the, the easiest, the most common way when we think of teaching, it's what? It's with our mouth. It's, it's a spoken word. He says, what am I, what, so Paul, what is Timothy teaching? Look, I, I wrote it for you real easily. He says, some of you will depart from the faith because you will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And when this happens, you're going to speak in lies of hypocrisy. You're going to set up rules for you and for other people to follow in order that you might be more spiritual. So he comes off with this warning and he says, Timothy, I want you to teach the people this. I want them to know. I want them to see it. I want them to know that when somebody comes in within the fellowship and they have a, a doctrine that doesn't make sense, when they're trying to pull you in a different way, something that's not Christ-centered, I want them to know what they're supposed to be focused on. That's the obligation of not only me, but it's the obligation of you guys as well. Because when you talk to your friends and when you talk to your family, fellow believers, what do we do with each other? We teach them. What do we teach them? But like I said, we also, Timothy's also teaching with his lifestyle, with the choices he makes. And we're going to talk more about that when we get down to chapter, or down to verse 12, verses 12 through 16. That'll be next week. But Paul's going to elaborate on that next week. But he also tells him with his lifestyle. Timothy had to live his life in a way that was an example to those he was ministering to. The pastor has an obligation to live his life. I have an obligation to live my life in as an example to the way that, to, to those that I'm ministering to. And I've said this before, and I will hold you to it. Ask my wife, ask my kids if I'm different at home or if I am the same person. If, if for any reason my ministry behind this pulpit is not the ministry that I have at home, then I have an obligation to step down. I shouldn't be fake. I shouldn't be different. I should be the exact same person. Not perfect. Please don't, hold, don't put me on a pedestal and say you're perfect. Doesn't happen that way. Ask my wife and kids, they'll tell you. Angels don't wake up in the morning. When I wake up, angels aren't singing above my head, things like that. No, I wake up cranky like everybody else sometimes. But I have an obligation to be real, and I have an obligation to live my life in a way that, that I'm ministering, to the, that I'm living as an example to you guys as well, and especially to my family. So if it's Timothy's obligation to instruct, what's the people's obligation? If someone is instructing, if you're going to church to be instructed, I want to hear what the pastor is going to teach me from God's word, what's your obligation? Well, I have to listen, right? Well, listen's only part of it. Now, listen is good. That's a good step. That's a good start. But there's also something else that you have to do. I have to listen. I have to do it. I have to take the instruction. I have to apply it to my life. Will you get anything out of just simply listening to the word? Well, you might get something out. But really, where you're going to grow spiritually is when you start living the word. You know, don't just be hearers of the word, James would say, but be a doer of the word. Let this word be the guide for your life. Let it be the plumb line for your life. So let me ask you this. Do you just listen or do you follow the instructions you receive from the word and from the pastor? Do you just listen? See, do you, do you see, see, I want to show you something real quick. Do you see how quickly church can go wrong? Because I've lumped the word and the pastor together. I'm assuming the pastor's teaching the word of God. Okay. If the pastor's not teaching the word of God, what's he teaching? 
He's teaching philosophy. He's teaching, you know, what, he could be teaching psychology. He could be teaching all these different things. But assuming the pastor's teaching the word of God, which is what he should be teaching, that's where you want your instruction from. If I come up here and I start talking about things other than the word of God, you can just, I can get my permission, just get up and go on out the door and find another church that's teaching the Bible. Because that's where we need to be focused. It's the word of God that's going to change you. It's the word of God you live by. If I am not explaining the Bible properly or I am doing it wrong, not to say we'll always agree on everything, but if I am not doing my job in teaching the word of God, then you need to find a church that is. Because that is what's going to change you, not my message. The message of the words that come out of my mouth mean nothing. God promises his word will not return void in, his, in the Bible. He tells us, my word will not return void. He makes no such promise about my commentary on his word. If I'm not giving you the word of God, I am giving you nothing. You're going to walk out of here and forget. You might have been entertained for 45 minutes. You're going to walk out and forget everything. But when you hear the word of God, it's when you're going to take it, you're going to apply it to your life, and that's what's going to change your life. So do you just listen, or do we follow the instructions? You know, sometimes people will come to a Bible study, and they think, oh, I already know that passage. Eh, I've studied that. I've already been there. I've, I've read the Bible through. I've studied the majority of the Bible. I've found all of it at some point in my, in my preparation and my time with the Lord. But every time I come to a passage, I know that that's where God speaks. And I might have heard it. I might have taught it. I might have heard somebody else teach it three or four times. But I know that God can speak to me at that moment for something that's going on in my life at that particular passage. So I have to come with the intent, come to the scriptures, come to church with the intent. Of, I want to hear from God today. I want to hear what God has to say. Or sometimes you can just come to church with the idea, well, I want to see how the pastor does today. <laughs> well, he did about a four, you know. I didn't like the whole communion after worship thing. So we're gonna, and you begin to, you become focusing on rating what's going on in church today. That's, that's not how our hearts should be. And, you know, last week, okay, that was a little better. I'll give you an eight. You know, that's not what it should be. Or sometimes we come to the word of God or to the message and we think, you know, this would really work for so-and-so. We want to apply it to somebody else's life. Well, I'm going to get a tape, or they don't have tapes anymore. I'm going to get a CD, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. Not that that's a bad thing. But if you're continually hearing the teaching, the instruction, you're continually hearing God's word, and you always have somebody else in mind, then you're not listening. You're not really paying attention. You're not taking and saying, what is it saying to me? So Paul's telling Timothy here. He says, listen, teach, instruct the brethren in these things, and you will be a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instruct them. But the next thing he says, look what he says. The last half of verse 6. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Nourished. Now, if the Bible had been written, I think Paul would have wrote nourished in the word of God. I think he'd have written there, nourished in the word of God. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about G the words of Jesus there. You will be nourished. What does the word nourished mean? Nourished means to provide instruction and training with the implication of skill in some area of practical knowledge. It means to train up. I think of, I think of a mother nourishing a child, feeding them, teaching them, growing them. You know, what they're receiving is what's giving them life. It's, it's the very, the nourishment that a child receives, even, you know, from, from a mother. It's, it's what provides life for them. It's what provides their everything that they need. Timothy was to be nourished, trained up in the good doctrine, which is the word of God, and to carefully follow it. Carefully follow it. You see, the, do, the word of God can become in one ear and out the other. It can become something that we just, you know, it's, it's for somebody else. I've already read it. I've already done that. That's not how we ever want to become. 
We need to be people who say we want to carefully follow the word of God. I've always said I will always change my belief if you can show me where I'm wrong in the Bible. Because this is what I want to follow. This is what I want to believe. This is the truth of God. This is where it, where it lies. You know, the word of God should be nourishing us the same way a mother would nourish a child. The same way food nourishes you. You know, you get nourished with food, don't you? How many times a day do you eat? Some of us eat more than others. Some of us, you know, but, but that's where our food, that's where our nourishment, that's where our substance for life comes from. But it should come from the word of God too, especially for a pastor. Not only, should it, not only is that true for all of us, we all need to be nourished with God's word. We nourish ourselves with food three times a day. Do you nourish yourself with the word of God once a day? Is this the only place once a week? You're going to be starving spiritually. There's got to be that nourishment. You have to have that desire. Are you being nourished by God's word? Are you being trained by God's word? Is it something that you read and go, wow, i got to apply that to my life. I have to do that. I have to live that. Or do you take it as just a suggestion? If it works for me, then I'll do it. If it doesn't work for me, well, then I'll just, I'll just skip that part of it. No, I have to be trained. I have to be nourished by it. Does God's word affect the way that you act? Does it affect the way that you think? When you, is, is it on your heart? You see, if I don't get nourished in the word of God, I don't have anything to say to you guys this morning. Without, as a pastor, as a, as a teacher of God's word, if I haven't spent time studying God's word, if I haven't spent time being nourished by it, then I, I, what can I get up here and say? There's nothing for, I can't give it out unless I've got it. You know, you don't need somebody to come up and read you a commentary. Anybody could do that. You could do a video sanctuary from somebody else for that. You don't need that. You need somebody who's going to come up here and says, I've, I understand this. I'm living this. I'm, I'm doing my best. I want to share what God's doing in my life. I want to share it with you. That's what a pastor needs to do, nourished in God's word. Listen, if you're not being trained, if you're not being nourished, where, what, what value does it really have in your life? Think about it. We have the living God who created us, who created us for a purpose, says, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write it over a couple of thousand years, three different continents, 40 different authors. I'm going to write a book that tells you how to handle life, how to deal life. And we let it sit on the shelf and blow dust on it sometimes, let the dust fall all over it. I, I, I've heard it said once, if the Bible's falling apart, the man's not. If the man's falling apart, the Bible's probably sitting on the shelf dusty. You know, truth to that, truth to that. Let us be people who, who want to be nourished by the word of God. I, I can be listening and agreeing to what the Bible says and not be nourished. I can sit at the table and not eat. We need to come to the word of God. We come to church because we want to be fed. That's the, when, when I talk to people and I say sometimes, hey, you know, what's going on with this church or that church? You know what I always hear? I'm not being fed there. Now, that, sometimes that's an excuse. Well, I don't know that I'm being fed. Listen, you should, there should be so much the word of God in church that you should leave full. You should leave, we should be spiritually fat and happy. We should be, can't wait to go tell people about the restaurant in town. You know, go get fed spiritually. Go, go here, go get the word of God. That's what it's all about. But he also tells him, number three, he says to Timothy, he says, instruct the brethren, be nourished in the word of God. And number three, look at verse seven, but reject profane and old wives' fables reject profane and old wives' fables. Did you come to church this morning to hear advice from an old wives' fable? You know, summer's coming up, so I want to remind you not to go swimming 30 minutes after you eat. 
Is that true? That's not even true, but that's not what you came to church. You don't want to hear, what if I was a, as a pastor, I'm following old wives' fables. I'm following what, what gets posted on Facebook. What if I'm teaching from what gets posted on the internet? You can't even believe half that stuff. Half of it's not even real. Do you want me to stand up here and teach tradition? This is what the church does. This is what we do. This is why we do it. And you need to do it too and just teach confirmation or you know, just, just a traditional aspect of things. What about if I stood up here and taught modern psychology? This is what modern psych- I was reading psychology today this month, and this is what I, that's not what you want to hear either. Not that there's not a place for that in our society. There is, but not here at church. That's not what we're here for. It simply, simply shouldn't be taught in church. What should we be hearing? Exactly what we're doing is teaching the Bible. That's, that's why we're here, right? Because we want to study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You want, to, you want to hear what God has to say. Hopefully we all came. Paul's simply saying this to Timothy. Don't get caught up in all the other side stuff. That's all, that's all clutter. Don't get caught up in all the clutter. Stay focused on the word of God. Don't follow old wise fables. Don't follow endless genealogies. Don't follow these things that so easily pull us away from God's word. He says, stay focused on the word of God. The priority in a church, the priority for a pastor must be the teaching of God's word. It's not the upcoming election. It's not that our community is falling apart. We have a heroin problem in our community. Yes, we all know that. The answer for that problem is Jesus Christ and God's word. That's my focus. That's where I need to be. Not that we shouldn't be doing things to impact them, those things, because we could. We need to. But our focus, our center of our fellowship of our church must be the word of God. Well, what about this other thing I heard, Rob? There's this new thing they're doing out there. There's this new thing happening over here. And over on this side of town, they're doing something really new. Listen, write this down. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. I can't remember who said that, but I like the quote. Because what, what we're saying, what it simply means is this. The word of God has been true for the last 2,000 years, or almost 2,000 years. It's still true today. It's the same. It hasn't changed. If somebody says, I have a new revelation, not from God you don't, because he's given us everything we need in the word of God. You're saying that what we have here is insufficient if there needs to be a new revelation. Our focus needs to be here. You want to see revival happen? It's going to happen through the study of God's word and through prayer. You want to see our community change? Study God's word. Learn it. Share it. Go out and teach it with your friends. Go out and share it with your family. Go out and share it with your neighbors. You know, apply it to your life. Don't just listen. Don't just come here and listen. If you're, if you're not going to live it and apply it, why are you here? Just because you, if you think you come to church because you get a check mark for being in attendance, that doesn't do, any, do you any good. I have to take God's word and I need to apply it to my life. Are you the same person that you were a year ago? What about five years ago? What about 10 years ago? Or can you see where God's word is changing you? Can you see where it's taking place? Where over the course of time, the more I study, the more I learn, the more I change, the more I become like Christ. That's what we want to see. It doesn't happen overnight, I promise you. It takes time. It's a lifetime that we're going to spend. But remember that if it's, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And then he says at the end of verse 7, exercise yourself toward godliness. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Their culture was much like ours. They were very into how you looked. Exercise was very important. What does the word exercise mean? Exercise, it means to control yourself by discipline. It means to make yourself obey. It's literally translated in some languages as to command your heart. To command your heart. We think of exercise. What do you think of? 
the big purple gym up there, you know, 10 bucks a month. You can go to the gym and work out. We're going to get exercise. And we do that for what? For our bodies. We want our bodies to look a certain way or, you know, we realize, wait, I, you know, I'm, I'm unhealthy. I need to get healthier. So we go up there and we work out for 10 bucks a month. We're trying to exercise. Church can't be like the purple gym, right? Because most of us have a membership and we never go. The reason they can make money at $10 a month is because if everybody showed up there, you couldn't get through the doors. But they're all like many of us where we have a membership, we just never go. We'd like to go. And some of us treat church the exact same way. Oh, yeah, we're, we're a member. We join. Oh, yeah, we, we, we go. But we just, we're, we're, not, we're not really there. Exercise yourself towards godliness. What does it mean? What does that word mean? What does godliness mean? It means this. It comes from the old English word godlikeness. Godlikeness. It means to have the character and the attitude of God. This was a worthy goal, much more worthy than the potential attainments of physical exercise. Exercise yourself, point your hearts towards, discipline yourselves towards God-likeness or godliness. I want to be God-likeness, and that means I have the character and the attitude of God. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, does it? You can't change that in a day, in a month, in a week, in a year, even a decade. But does it mean that we shouldn't exercise toward that? No. What Paul's saying to Timothy is exercise yourself to be in godliness. Pursue it. Work on it. Now, why should we do this? What's the purpose here? Look what he says in verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Paul says, I understand there's a need for bodily exercise. I understand it's important. I get that. But he makes a point here. He says, the bodily exercise, the, the working out that we would do of our body, it's a, it's, it's a temporary fading value. It's temporary and it's fading value. But the exercise towards godliness, it's everlasting and eternal. Now let me make sure you understand that. If I go to the gym up here and I work out five days a week, and I get really strong, and I might, I might even look really good. Do you realize I'm fighting gravity and age? You're, no matter what, it doesn't matter how good you look when you're younger, you're still fighting gravity and age. Gravity is going to pull you down, and age may, helps it out. It's just what happens. But Paul says it's not like that when we exercise towards godliness. He goes, when you exercise towards godliness, you're building strength eternally. You're building strength in the heavens and he makes it clear, bodily exercise profits a little. A little. There, there's some value there. There's some health values. I'm not discounting being healthy and, and you know, our, our health is important. But he says godliness is profitable for all things. And there's some similarities too, isn't there? Between physical exercise and exercising towards godliness. Both require proper nourishment, don't they? If I'm going to exercise physically, I have to eat right. If I want to exercise spiritually, don't I have to be fed spiritually? That's what we're talking about. Both would require exertion. You're not going to get any stronger sitting on the couch. You've got to go to the gym. Truth is, if we walked to the gym and walked home, we'd probably be better shaped than we are now. And didn't even go in the doors. But they both require exertion. If I want to exercise, if I want to grow to be more godlike, I have to exert myself to do that. It requires exertion. Both require commitment, don't they? I have to be committed. I have to be willing, I have to, be willing to do it. If you want to be more godlike and you want to find time in your word, you know we find time for everything else in our life. But somehow it seems that we can't find time for the Bible. 
Oh, we can find time to work out. We can get our workout in. I don't know about you, but I think in my life it's more important I get my spiritual workout in before I get my physical workout in. Much more important. It requires commitment. Sometimes we have to get up early to do that, don't we? We'll get up early. You, know, you, ever, see the, you ever go to the gym real early, 5 o'clock in the morning, or see, see those people in there working out, really strong, buff-looking, they're, they're dedicated. You think, man, what could they do for the Lord if they would just do that much for the Lord, that much, that commitment to the Lord? And here's another thing they have in common, and this is a good one. Both produce results slowly over a long period of time. You know, you go to the gym once, what happens? You go home sore, right? That's all that happens. But if you continually go, once a week is better than never. It's the same thing with the scriptures. As you, as you go, you know what? I want to be, be nourished by the word. I want to exercise towards godliness. It's going to take time. A long period of time. It's going to be little changes here, little changes there, a little growth here, a little growth there. Like going to the gym. I didn't make it this week. That's okay. Get back in there. You know, I didn't get, my, get up this morning for my devotions. That's okay. Do it the next day. Find a time later in the day. Do it in the evening. Do it before bed. It's the commitment that we have to make. It takes, it's going to produce results, but it's going to be slowly. And we don't like that in our society. You see, we want results right now. Everything has to happen right now. We don't want to wait for anything. We want overnight shipping, fast food. Uh, we don't want to wait for a thing. Well, with the spiritual exercise, it's going to take time. God's going to work in you slowly. I'm always leery of the things that happen overnight in somebody's life. Not that God can't, because I've seen that happen. But we've all met the people who are changed overnight, and then you meet them a year later and go, what happened? And you find out their motivation for coming to the Lord was, well, God didn't do what I wanted him to do, so I, I gave that up. The wrong motivation, the wrong heart. No, when we exercise towards godliness, we're saying, God, I want your heart. I want your character. But one more thing. Both of them require pain, don't they? Both of them are hard. When you go to the gym for the first time and haven't been there in a while, you go home and what's it, what happens the next day when you wake up? It hurts. Listen, if you want to have the character of God, you're going to go through some things that are going to hurt. You're going to go through some pain and you're going to go through some difficulty. And you're going, but it's going to be better for you on the other side. No pain, no gain, right? It's the same thing true with the things of God. Lastly, they both must be continued to maintain the results. If I worked out 10 years ago and was all buff and looked great, what's that going to do for me today? Nothing. Same thing with the word of God. Same thing with the spiritual. I want to be God like, I got to maintain that. I got to maintain it. There's a lot of people that are walking through. I was close with the Lord back then. I used to do this for God and we used to do that. And I, there I was. But you quit going to the gym. You quit maintaining your closeness with the Lord. How do I fix that? You get back in. You go back to the Lord. You go back to those things that you were doing when you were close with them. It's real simple. I was getting up early. I was staying up late. I was every time church was open. I would go back to that if that's where you were. Go right back to it. Listen, we can exercise physically, but only spiritual development will last forever. Physical training is good for a little while, but you're fighting gravity and age. It's not, you're not going to win. The time you spend exercising godliness, being godlike, it will last forever. It will change you. It will last forever. Godliness will not make you rich. It will not make life easier. It will not make you more comfortable. But it will make you more joyful. It will make you more content. And you will be fulfilled. It won't make you rich. It won't make you more comfortable. It won't make life easier. 
but you will have the joy and the happiness that you're looking for. You will be content and you will have a fulfillment that you never had before. You see, the world says completely different. What does the world say? Go try this. Go do this. Watch this. Go do this. And God says, no, no, no. Don't go over there. Exercise godliness and you'll find the happiness that you're looking for. You're not going to find it in money and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. The world says this is entertainment. You won't find it there. You'll find it in the word of God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, I assure you, and there are thousands of my brethren who can affirm the same, that after having tried the ways of sin, we infinitely prefer the ways of righteousness for their own pleasure's sake, even here. And we would not change with ungodly men, even if we had to die like dogs. With all sorrow and care which Christian life is supposed to bring, we would prefer it to any other form of life beneath the stars." Is it really true? Does it really work? Can I trust? Can you trust what Paul's saying here? If, if I, Robert, if you're saying if I exercise myself towards godliness, now he's speaking to pastors here, but he's also speaking to us. If we'll exercise ourselves toward godliness, will, will it really work? Will we become more godlike? Will we have more of the character of God and the heart of God? Absolutely. He tells us in verse 9, look, because this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. It's almost like he anticipated our, 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 our doubt. Paul, are you really saying that, you know, yeah. He said it's faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Look at verse 10. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, but we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. Paul says it's faithful. It's worthy of acceptance. It's what drives us to labor and suffer reproach. Why would we ever want to labor and suffer reproach? Because we trust in the living God. That should be our motto as Christians. Trusting in the living God. The living God. The living God. That's who our faith is in. That's who our trust is in. The living God. David challenged Goliath in the name of the living God, didn't he? This is my, one of my favorite sections of scripture. Let me read it to you. David and Goliath. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. That's Goliath. It says to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Here he is, nine feet tall, out in the valley of Allah. I was just there when I was in Israel. We stood in the valley where David and Goliath was. We stood there. We saw the two mountains on one side. The brook is right there. You can pick up stones from the brook. And here's this nine-foot man. Here's this young shepherd boy. Not even, no, no even armor to fight. Goliath tells him, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds in the air. I'm going to destroy you. And look at David's response. Let me read it to you in verse 45. Of, it says this, Then David said to the Philistine, I love this, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, not just you, all of you. I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts on the earth, that all the earth, all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with the sword and with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give it, he will give you into our hands." Wow, can you imagine, them, imagine that unfolding and taking place? This is the motto of our life. We do what we do for the living God. 
As Christians, we do it for God. It's our trust in the living God that moves us to accomplish great things and to give him the glory. It's all for his sake that we do it. And now notice there at the end of verse 10. It says, the Savior of all men, all men, especially those who believe. Don't misunderstand. Don't make the mistake of thinking that all men are saved. But what he's simply saying there says this, this means there's one Savior for all men. There is one way of salvation for all men. Not one Savior for Christians, not one Savior for Muslims, not one way, not in one different way. There's one Savior for all men. But notice Paul's point. Especially those who believe. Especially those who believe. Jesus' work is adequate to save all, but only, in effect, only effective in saving those who come to him by faith. So there's one Savior for all men, but I can't receive that salvation unless I come to him by faith. Adam Clark put it this way. He said, what God intends for all, he actually gives to them that believe in Christ, who died for the sins of the world, tasted death for every man. As all have been purchased by his blood, so all may believe, and consequently all may be saved. Those that perish, perish through their own fault. And lastly, he tells Timothy, he says, these things command and teach. He says, Timothy, you need to command them, you need to teach them. To announce, to command means to announce what must be done, and to teach means to provide instruction. Timothy was not to enter the pulpit with speculations and opinions, just as a pastor shouldn't. It's not about speculation, not about opinions or the theories of men. He was to fearlessly bring God's word before God's people and let the chips fall where they may. It's my job to teach and instruct the Bible. It's not, I don't need to be worried about if I offend somebody. I don't need to be politically correct. I don't need to be worried about, well, what if everybody leaves? Or what if, what if you know, so-and-so leaves? Or, that, that's, not, that's not my concern. My job as a pastor is to rightly represent God's word from behind the pulpit. And Paul, Paul would tell Timothy, Timothy, if you will do these things, then, then you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, if you'll do these things. So the pastor's job description, we see it played out for us. Instruct the brethren. Reject profane old wives' tales, the things of the world. Reject all of those things. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Just as it applies to a pastor's life, it applies to you guys as well. Because we all will be teaching this week. Because as you step out of here and you step into the world, you're going to be coming into contact with people. If you want to effectively minister the gospel, teach God's word to the people. Teach them. Teach them what it says. Don't tell them what you think. Don't tell them how you think. I think this is a good idea. And this, you know, tell them what God's word says. But in order to do that, what do you have to know? You have to know that it works in your life. You have to see the fruit of God's word in your life. If you see the fruit of God's word in your life, you're going to want to share it with others. You see, the gospel, when, I, when we talk about sharing the gospel, don't think that you have to knock on 10 doors this week or tell 10 people. If you will just share what God's doing in your life, that's sharing the gospel. But what's he doing in your life? Is there change? Has there been a difference? Is there something, is, is he actively working or rooting on something in your life? I hope so. If not, I hope that you would seek him and ask him to. How does that happen, Rob? By studying the word of God. If you want to have the character of God, if you want to exercise godliness or you know, exercise God-likeness, I have to spend time with God. You do too. Once a week, 
You're going to be hungry spiritually. I would encourage you to spend time with God daily, maybe multiple times a day. And it doesn't always mean sit down Bible study, you know, crazy preacher on TV. It doesn't always, it's sometimes it's just meditating on the word of God. Having a verse run through your head, thinking about it. What does that mean? Giving God glory for your day, just interacting with him. You see, our prayers shouldn't only be in meals. It should be all the time as we think about what God's done for us and we think about his love for us that he demonstrated for us. We got to share communion this morning. We, we take that for granted sometimes. Rob, why don't we do that every week? Because I don't want to take it for granted. Because sometimes when you do something every week, it becomes ritual and it becomes routine. So we've opted to do it once a month because we want it to be special when we do it. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as you instruct Timothy, you also instruct us. Certainly me as the pastor, but the people, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would be people who would instruct our friends and relatives on the things of the word. I pray that we would be nourished, healthy Christians living in your word. I pray that we would reject the things the world has to offer, profane and old wives' fables. Lord, those aren't things that we should be following, but instead we should be following you. And Lord, may we willingly this morning make a decision to exercise ourselves, work out for godliness. Lord, may, may it be our heart that says, I want the character of God. I want the mind of God. I want to see people the way that God sees people. I want to see people the way that you do, Jesus. You died for people, and I don't understand why. I mean, of course I understand why you died for me, because I'm special. But what about those other people? Lord, would you give us a heart to see people the way that you see them? Would it be our desire to be more like you? And Lord, would we be willing to put forth the effort May we not belong to Christianity the way that we do to a gym. But instead, may we be sold out for you. Realizing the word of God has the power of life in it. And may we seek it out. In Jesus' name, amen.